0: Every time I make mention of a topic in another episode, I always feel compelled or the need to discuss that topic in more detail in a later episode, today's being the Etruscans. Anyway, I am your host, Petrus Catupus, and as I have just mentioned, in this episode we will be discussing the mysterious Etruscans. What makes them mysterious, though? Well, a lot. But mostly the fact that we don't know very much about them, their culture, society, and very little about everything else. The Etruscans emerged in what was ancient Etruria, that is modern-day Tuscany, and in the western and central regions of Italy to the north of ancient Latium, on the opposite side of the River Tiber. Their civilization extended from the Po Valley all the way down to the boundaries of Latium. While their origins are continuously debated in the academic world, and we will definitely circle back to this topic later in this episode, one thing is for certain though, the Etruscan culture can be traced back in time to this area as early as the 10th or 9th century BCE. By the 6th century BCE, they emerged as a great power, and both their influence and art would spread across the ancient Mediterranean world. The Etruscans are considered contemporaries of the ancient Greeks, the nations of the Near East, Carthage, and later in history, Rome. They were a powerful force with a strong navy and were masters of the sea with full control of the Tyrrhenian, at least while they were at their strongest. Despite them being a major player during the Iron Age and in the ancient world, we still do not know much about the, the peoples and their culture. The difficulty in understanding the Etruscans stems from the fact that not much of their culture has survived the test of time. We will get into why shortly. The Etruscans originally referred to themselves as the Rasena. And centuries later, this this evolved into uh, the Rasna. The word and name Etruscan was given to them by later Romans. And despite deciphering some of the very unique Etruscan language, very few inscriptions using an alphabet similar to the ancient Greek alphabet introduced by Greek merchants have been discovered. And of the few that were discovered, we are left with more questions than answers, you know, relating to this enigmatic group of peoples. Besides, these inscriptions never give us insight into the culture itself only their rituals, which were even foreign to their neighbors of the time. What makes matters worse is that the classical and biased writers tended to portray the Etruscans in a negative light. Let us take a step back, though, and talk about what we do know. A lot of Etruscan architecture, mythologies, deities, and artistic style was adopted and adapted from the neighboring Greeks. From Homer's greatest epics to the triumph of the gods over the Titans, the Etruscans were enjoying a lot of the same stories already spreading throughout the Mediterranean, the most important of which was the, the Iliad. Etruscan tombs to even household items were decorated with scenes of the Iliad, whether it be the judgment of Paris when Terms, which was their Hermes, brings the three goddesses Minerva, or their Athena, Uni, or their Hera, and Turon which was their Aphrodite, to Eluxundre, which was their uh, Alexander slash Paris, who judges the beauty contest of the goddesses. Or even we see scenes of uh, the ambush of the Trojan prince Troilus, where Acle, who was their Achilles, armed with a sacrificial knife, hides to kill the unarmed youth. Now, this does not mean that the Etruscans did not have their own local myths. In fact, they did but the influence by the Greeks was very apparent. During the 4th century BCE, Rome was expanding beyond Latium and started to annex Etruscan cities. By the 3rd century BCE, Rome completely conquered Etruria. During this process, the Romans adopted many Etruscan customs, mythologies, and art, while leaving the rest to be forgotten to time. It has been a very difficult process for the modern scholar to identify what aspects of Roman culture, belief, and craft stem from the Etruscans. The only purely undisturbed window to this culture survives only in their lavish tombs. Prior to their assimilation into Roman society and their complete, quote, disappearance, unquote, Greek and Phoenician inscriptions record alliances and naval battles between the Etruscans and the Greeks of the Aegean, and also uh, in at Magna Graecia, which is the most southern part of the Italian mainland below uh, Latium that was colonized by ancient Greeks. Again, it was their established thalassocracy over the Tyrrhenian Sea that made the Etruscans a force to be contended with. Their mastering of the sea influenced future Roman seafaring. Here is the most interesting part about the Etruscans. Well, let me rephrase that statement. I believe that the most interesting part of the Etruscans is their origins. I told you we would be returning to this topic. Ancient traditions claim that they were not native to the land they inhabited by classical times. According to ancient historians, the ancient Etruscans or Turanians were originally Pelasgians who migrated to the Italian mainland from Lydia, which was located in southwestern Anatolia, or what is Turkey today, by way of the Greek island of Lemnos. In his The Histories, Book 194, Herodotus states, well, let's, let me note that I will only be reading the relevant text-skipping sections in between. Anyway, he said, the Lydians were the first people we know of to use a gold and silver coinage and to introduce retail trade. And they also claim to have invented the games which are now commonly played both by themselves and by the Greeks. These games are supposed to have been invented at the time when they sent a colony to settle in Terrania. And the story is that in the reign of Attis, the son of Manes, the whole of Lydia suffered from a severe famine. For a time, the people lingered on as patiently as they could. But later, when there was no improvement, they began to look for something to alleviate the misery. There was no remission of their suffering. Indeed, it grew worse. So the king divided the population into two groups and determined by drawing lots which should immigrate and which should remain at home. He appointed himself to rule the section whose lot determined that they should remain and his son, Tyrannus, to command the immigrants. They passed many countries and finally reached Umbria in the north of Italy where they settled and still love to this day. The Lydian tradition is reflected in Virgil's Aeneid, book 2, lines 780 to 781. Long exile is your lot, a vast stretch of sea you must plow, and you will come to the land, Hesperia, where amid the rich fields of husbandmen the Lydian tiber flows with gentle sweep. In his The Peloponnesian War, book 4, line 109, Thucydides claims the following, there is a small Chalcidian Greek element, but the majority of Pelasgians descended from the Etruscans who once inhabited Leminos and in Athens, or else Basaltians, Christonians, or Edonians. The last of which is quite an interesting claim when we get into the topic of the Etruscan language. You see, Etruscan was a pre-Indo-European language. It is closely related to the Raetic language spoken in the Alps uh, to the north of Etruria. It is unlike any other European language and stands out on its own, and while it influenced Latin, it was eventually superseded by it. I touched on this earlier, but scholars continue to struggle with its decipherment. Again, we only have a limited number of inscriptions at our disposal, and as unique as the Etruscan language was, it was not solely confined to the Italian mainland. There is evidence suggesting a link between the island of Lemnos with the ancient inhabitants of the Tyrrhenian region. For instance, the 6th century BCE Lemnos bears an inscription utilizing a language which strongly resembles the language spoken by the Etruscans, which implies one of three scenarios. One, a group of Tyrrhenian speaking peoples migrated to the island sometime during or before the Bronze Age, or maybe even after. Two, the Etruscans established a trading colony on the island. Three, or at some point before the 6th century BCE, and possibly during the Late Bronze Age, a group of migrants moved westward and toward Italy, eventually settling on the Italian mainland and giving way to the traditions of our ancient Greek historians. It is worth noting that in his Greek questions, Plutarch does mention that the Turanians once inhabited both Lemnos and Imbros and I'm speaking of question 21. One thing is for certain, the language of the Lemnians were different from that of the Greeks and possibly Anatolians. This was recognized as early as Homer. In his Odyssey, book 8, lines 290 to 294, read, Come, love, let us to bed and take our joy couch together, for Hephaestus is no longer here in the land but has now gone, no doubt to Lemnos, to visit the sentience of savage speech. Much like the Etruscan language, modern linguists have a limited library of inscriptions from Lemnos to compare to and with. And while linguists argue that there are no similarities between the languages of the Etruscans and the Lydeans, I personally have found a few similarities with some of the vocabulary, for instance the Etruscan word for house is pera, which is quite reminiscent with the Lydian bira. Also, the Etruscan word for honeyed wine, mat, closely resembles the Luvian madu or madusa. But in all reality, this doesn't mean anything and isn't proof of Etruscans immigrating from Anatolia to Italy. This whole discussion reminds me of a very interesting study In 2019, a genetic study was published in the journal Science, where researchers analyzed the autosomal DNA of 11 Iron Age samples from areas around Rome dating to between 900 and 500 BCE. It showed that the Etruscans and Latins were genetically similar, and more importantly, it showed that the Etruscans were indigenous to the region. However, it should be mentioned that prior genetic studies have revealed that both human and cattle DNA conducted in the region of Etruria showcased a relationship with the Near East, with a common ancestor dating to roughly 7,600 years before migrants eventually settled on the Italian peninsula. I am immediately reminded of the Philistine DNA study of skeletal remains from a grave in the Philistine city of Ashkelon, showing researchers that after only two centuries of settlement, the results showcased the case of intermingling between the European migrants and the local population. We also know that the Philistines later adopted the local Canaanite dialect, essentially making it more difficult for later scholars to determine whether they were foreigners in the first place. Do we have a similar situation here with the Etruscans? A lot can happen and change in three centuries. If we can take a moment to refer to the Aeneid, shortly after reaching the Italian mainland and immediately before a battle ensued between the Trojan Aeneas and the local king latinus separately a divine vision and message was delivered to each leader preventing them from spilling any blood and instead form an alliance in this alliance both men swore oaths of lasting friendship and agreed to share customs laws and rituals and began to call their united peoples latins such an assimilating or blending of cultures could potentially pose challenges in detecting a distinct difference of two separate peoples within the archaeological record. Another thought worth noting is that it wouldn't have to be a large group of migrants to inspire such an epic story like the Aeneid or any of the other traditions that the the later classical authors wrote about. Either way, so far, both the archaeological evidence and the DNA have yet to yield the evidence of an Anatolian or any other migration to Italy or its islands. So then, if the Etruscans were indigenous to the region, then why were the ancient historians so insistent that they were refugees resettling in Italy? I don't know. But that tradition stuck and it continues to be a hot topic with scholars today. One thing is for certain, though new discoveries are providing archaeologists with new information pertaining to this mysterious culture. The missing pieces to understanding them are slowly being filled, and I personally look forward to more future discoveries. And here we are, at the end of yet another episode of Digging Up the Past. Got something to say? Or do you have ideas for topics to cover in future episodes? Then be sure to share those comments at diggingupthepast.net Or simply email me at Petros at PetrosKutupis.com. Who knows? It may even be featured in an upcoming newsletter, video, or podcast episode. This is Petros Kutupis, signing off.